welcome to the C3 Camden podcast. For more information about our church, please visit www.c3camden.church. We are so thrilled that you're listening today and we hope you enjoy the message. Thanks, music team. I'll let you guys take a seat as well. Good afternoon. Afternoon. You're off. You, you, you guys sound like more jet lag than I do. Are you just because you're exhausted singing, or what was it? <laughs> Not sure? All right, well, we're conscious that the kids are in with us, and they're doing incredibly uh, well today, but I'm not going to keep you too long. We're going to get straight into God's Word. I've asked a couple of people to, to uh, share the Word or preach. Uh, not preach. What are you going to do? You're going to read do the readings today. Sonia, I didn't spring the preaching on you and Lyndon, but you're going to do the readings. We've got a couple of readings we're going to do, and then uh, we're going to continue with our Advent series. And the, the title of the message today uh, that I have in our Advent series, I've called A Tale of Two Kingdoms, A Tale of Two Kingdoms. And we're going to look at two contrasting kingdoms that it's good to remind ourselves of at this time of year, the kingdoms of this world and the kingdom of heaven. And uh, the kingdom of Christmas time is about when the kingdom of heaven came down to earth and came into uh, the kingdoms of this world. Jesus left the king of kings, left heaven and came to earth on a mission to reunite heaven and earth and put right all the things that had been messed up on this earth through the kingdom, the kingdoms of this world. And we're going to do that through the lens of looking at two kings of one kingdom today. So we're going to look at two kings who represent the kingdoms of this world or the kingdom of, the, of darkness, all of those sorts of terminology that are used in the Bible. So I'm going to ask Sonia to come first. She's going to read to us well-known stories. If you're fairly new to the Bible, even if you don't really know the Bible, there's a good chance you might know these stories. You probably heard these stories read at Christmas time. So two of the Christmas accounts. You're going to read Matthew chapter 2, and then uh, Lyndon, you can jump straight up afterwards and you're going to read uh, Luke chapter 2 as well. There we go. It's in front of you there. I'll give you the microphone. <laughs> That's much bigger. <laughs> um, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose and we have come to worship him. Sorry, I'm not used to this. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child, and when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. Thanks, Sonia. Well done. It is hard when the screen keeps moving, but you did superbly. You figured it out. <laughs> Over to you, Lyndon. You got, it on, you got it on paper in front of you. 
At that time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns together for this census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger, because there was no lodging available for them. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them. Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Saviour, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, and you will recognise him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Thanks, Lyndon. Thanks, guys. That's two, two accounts of this amazing Christmas story, one written by Matthew and one written by Luke. And Matthew tells, uh, he writes his gospel to Jewish people. And so he has a, a focus on Herod as the king of the Jews and talks about King Herod. And, and Luke was writing his gospel to the wider uh, Gentile Roman world that included Jews and Gentiles. And so he focuses on the Roman Empire. But both of these accounts, it's interesting that they both have an emphasis upon uh, contrasting the birth of Christ with the reigning power of the day. In, in the case of Matthew, he refers to King Herod, who was the, the king of the Jews uh, under Roman rule. He was designated by Rome to oversee, uh, oversee the area of Judea at the time Jesus was born. And then, and then Luke tells it from the perspective of uh, Emperor Augustus, Caesar Augustus. And uh, it's not coincidental that the story begins by contrasting the kingdom of God coming to the kingdoms of this world. And so what I want to do in the next few minutes is just help us reflect. You know, Jimmy talked about the themes of Advent, hope, love, peace. What was the other one? Joy. And, uh, and I was actually, while we were singing that first song, Joy to the World, I, I was reflecting on that, knowing that, that, uh, that um, Lyndon would be about to read that uh, passage there about the angels declaring joy to the world. And I bring you good news, the gospel that will be of good news to all people. And I want to talk about that just for a moment before we get into the rest of my message, because I really felt the Lord say to me, um, it was different to what I, I've been praying about today's service, and we were praying beforehand about peace, and I was just had a sense that God wanted to bring peace to some trouble and some anxiety that maybe some of you are facing in your world right now, some things that aren't going the way you, were, you would be. And I guess it was not different, but it was over and above that. I felt in the worship time, as Joe was leading us with the team, that uh, there was a sense in which God wants to bring joy. Maybe this Christmas, maybe whatever has happened, maybe where you find yourself at the moment, you're robbed of joy. Maybe there are things that are trying to steal your joy. And the Christmas season is good news of great joy to all people. 
there is joy available, a joy that can surpass your understanding, Paul says, a joy that has nothing to do with or is, is over and above the circumstances of life that might be coming your way. God wants to bring joy to your heart this Christmas. And as he pours joy into your heart, I'm going to believe with all, as I pray in a moment, I'm going to believe that God will fill you with joy and then you can pour out that joy onto others that you can extend God's kingdom values to other people. The amazing thing about God is that we never have to keep for ourselves. I'm going to look at this in a minute. We're going to see how the kingdoms of this world are all about take, take, take. Make sure you've got enough for yourself. God's kingdom is an upside down kingdom. When Jesus comes, he doesn't come with a message of take. He comes with a message of give. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. The message of God's upside down kingdom in Jesus is give. We get part of that right at Christmas time. We talk about giving gifts, but, but sometimes we miss it and we get trapped in the materialism of Christmas, like Jimmy just said, around, around money and, and all that kind of stuff. We get trapped in all the stuff that we have to do. By the way, shout out to our team that came early today and set up all our Christmas trees and Christmas decorations over here early. So thank you, team. If that was you, why don't you raise your hand? If you were here early today setting up, why don't you say thank, why don't we say thank you to you? Wonderful. Is that, is that two of you? Oh, Linda, there's a few of Andrew, okay, lots of you. I thought so. I, need, I, could see, I could only see two hands going up. You're all so humble. That's what it is. Another kingdom value. No, so thank you because I know that there can be a lot of stuff that feels like it has to be done, but we do it out of a heart of gratitude for what God has done for us. And here's what I found. There's never, if I, if I have a heart that wants to receive from God and keep for myself, I'll soon, I'll soon get dry. But if I have a heart that says I want to give and be a blessing to other people, God will keep pouring into me. And so that's the kingdom message. I believe God wants to pour joy into our hearts this Christmas so we can pour joy into others. And you go to family situations where there's tension, where there's anxiety, I believe that you can be a bringer of peace and a bringer of joy. You don't have to get caught up in that. You can come and be a non-anxious presence in that place. Why? Not because you've got anything special on yourself, but because God has poured His love into your heart by the Holy Spirit. So that's a word for some of us right now. In fact, I want to pray about that and then we'll get into this, this message. Maybe just close your eyes for a moment. Maybe if you're feeling like something is trying to rob your joy lately, trying to rob you of peace lately, if you're feeling like the pressures of life maybe have just been getting a bit too much right now, I want to pray for you. If that's you, why don't you just lift your hand up and just say, God, I need your peace. I need your joy. Thank you. Lots of hands going up. Spirit of God, I thank you that you are the spirit of peace. Would you bring peace to troubled hearts, hearts that are feeling the pressure, the challenges, the difficulties of this season, maybe some of the extra stuff that Jimmy talked about that's just related to extra pressure. I know people have got loved ones and family that are facing illness and hardship right now. Lord, I pray that you would give us all a sense of peace, and joy that has nothing to do with our circumstances, a peace that comes from the fact that Jesus, you made a way for us to have a relationship with the Father. And this Christmas season, I pray you would pour it out on us so that we can go and bring that peace and bring that joy to others. Amen. Amen. Well, before we finish, in a few minutes, we're going to take communion together. And I'm believing that as we do, we're going to eat 
and drink of the power of Christ that's going to sustain us as we head out into this next crazy three weeks that uh, is the Christmas season. It is the month of December with school presentation nights and Christmas parties and extra time with family who you normally wouldn't spend time with if you didn't have to, but it's Christmas. Hey, you have to spend time with them. All of that kind of pressure that can happen at this time of year. We're going to eat together and participate in communion and then head out with a, I'm believing, with a sense of being able to be that presence of God to the world around us. And so in the next few minutes, I want to con- contrast these two kingdoms, as I said, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of this world, uh, sorry, the kingdom of the world, the kingdom of this age, the kingdom of darkness, lots of words that the, king- that the Bible uses for it, and the kingdom of God, the kingdom of the Lord Jesus. And these two kingdoms, from the beginning of the Bible to the end, uh, contrasted at being at war with one another, that the kingdom of darkness makes war against the values of the kingdom of heaven. And the book ends, the end of the Bible is the story of the kingdom of heaven reigning supreme and overcoming the kingdom of darkness. It says right near the end of the book of Revelation, it says that the kingdoms of this earth will one day become the kingdoms of our Lord and Christ. That is the vision that we live for. A world that, that has in it the values of God's kingdom, not the values, values of the kingdom of the world. And sometimes... It's obvious where there is dark powers at work. Sometimes there is obvious where the values aren't in alignment with God's kingdom. But I don't want to speak so much to that right now. I want to speak to us as as followers of Jesus, assuming we're following Jesus. I want us to reflect as we head into these next few weeks about how easy and how subtle it can be that some of the values of the kingdom of this world can weave their way into our psyche and into our mind and how we can begin to take our focus off the kingdom of God and easily put it on the kingdoms of this the kingdom of this world. You see, the kingdom of this world is ultimately a kingdom of selfishness. Typified in the Garden of Eden, when the story tells us the serpent spoke to Eve and said, you know, you can take for yourself. Don't you trust God? Don't, don't trust God. He hasn't got your best interest at heart. You need to take for yourself. You need to say what's right and what's good for you. That is the, the principal voice that is behind the kingdom of this world, always challenging us to define what's right for us. The problem with that is that ultimately in the end, it fails. Ultimately in the end, it's an empty promise because we can take for ourselves and feel satisfied for a while. We can get Christmas gifts. We can work hard. We can have the praises of people saying, what a great job you did setting up Christmas decorations and thanks for hosting us for Christmas lunch. And we can look for the praises of men and women and it can fill us for a while, but in the end, it's empty. In the end, it will never, never satisfy. Whenever we try to satisfy ourselves, it's nearly always at the expense of someone else and it comes up short. But friends, when we live by kingdom of God values, where we put him first and we live to honour him and be a blessing to others, there will always be enough. That will come out of a, a well of living water. And so I want to talk about uh, one aspect of the, the kingdoms of this world. I'm going to do this through the lens of, of these two kings, King Herod and Caesar, King of Rome, Augustus, Caesar Augustus, these two uh, leaders at the time of Christ that that epitomised the kingdom of this world, this selfish kingdom. And so I want to talk for a moment about Hellenism. Hellenism is uh, a term that we give to the Greek culture, the Greco-Roman culture of the day. This was the prevailing worldview at the time of Jesus. 
For, um, for the better part of 2,000 years of recorded history before that, uh, before Hellenistic culture, which came in at about 400 BC, thereabouts, under Alexander the Great, the whole prevailing worldview throughout most of the world, as far as we know it, was very quite different. It was focused on appeasing the gods. There was this sense in which we need to keep the gods happy or they will punish us. And so the, the worship was very pagan, yes, but it was focused on the... Um, focusing on appeasing gods, making sure they're okay so they won't take us out. Very God-centred. Then along came Hellenism, and yes, still had Greek gods and Roman gods and still had foreign gods, but the, the mindset and the psyche of the way they worshipped their gods changed. It became a very self-focused culture. In the past, they were too worried about the wrath of the gods to focus on their own happiness. They just wanted to keep the gods away from, from banishing them or punishing them. But Hellenism came along and it became very self-focused. Really, the focus of the gods was to appease and, and sorry, was to satisfy humans. It was, if we do the right thing by the gods, they'll make us happy, like a divine vending machine in the sky. If I, if I pay the right dues, if I do the right thing, then it'll keep Zeus happy and Zeus will make me happy. And so it was very self-focused. And that's, uh, that, that prevailing culture has existed throughout most of the Western world. And it began with Hellenism. And we see it even at Christmas time. This interesting mix of messages we have at Christmas time. We, we think about the fact that we're celebrating the birth of Christ, and yet we have to say things to remind people like, you know, Jesus is the reason for the season. Why do we say that? Because so often the kingdoms of this world don't make Jesus the reason for the season. They put all this other pressure around it, and they say it's all about, you know, flamboyant gifts and self-centeredness and, and big parties and all of those things. And not in and of themselves, those things aren't necessarily all bad, but, but at, their, at their worst, they are self-focused. They're not Christ-focused. They're not kingdom of God-focused. Hellenistic culture was very much that way. Hellenism introduced four main areas or institutions into our world that still prevail today. Prevail today. And they're not all bad, but they became, they, they came from this shift away from being God-focused to being self-focused. And those four were education. They were the institution of uh, healthcare, athletics, which is sport and all that kind of stuff, and entertainment. All of those four came through Hellenistic culture. There's no record of, of wide-scale um, educational institutions prior to Alexander the Great and the Greek, Greek culture in the early centuries before Christ. There's no real reference to entertainment. It was in that day that they started to build grand amphitheaters, which uh, would, you know, stadiums where people would come and watch plays. That was all Greek. It happened in the Greek culture. Then They never had time for that before. But now it's all about the kingdom of self. And see, entertainment's not bad. Not bad to go and watch the entertainment of, of Elevate Creative Youth Ministries. It's not bad, but at its worst, when it becomes all about me having my needs met, there's a problem. It can become bad. Athletic prowess, it was the Greeks that started the Olympic Games. They had this sense of idolising the best of humanity. Athletics is, is actually not bad, but it, at its worst, it can become idol, idol worship. And they had uh, healthcare. The, the earliest healthcare actually came prior to the Christian church doing healthcare. There was elements of healthcare practices or, or, or people in ancient Greek cultures in Asclepions, which was this place where they would go and, and, um, and kind of get health treatment and focus on getting people well. So the Greek culture did these four things. But at their worst, they become very self-focused, very much about what I get my needs met and I'll do the right thing so that God looks after me and God cares for me, as opposed to thinking about other people. So that's the Hellenistic culture. 
And this guy, Herod the Great, he was the epitome of Hellenistic culture. In fact, I've learned recently, I knew Herod the Great was a pretty rich dude, but I've learned recently that Herod the Great was by far the richest person that has ever lived on the planet. By far. You could put Jim Bezos, Elon Musk, Bill Gates, you could put them all together and they would not be as rich as this guy, Herod the Great. So Herod the Great was called Herod the Great, not because he was a great guy. You wouldn't put him in the category, oh, Herod, he was such a great guy. Herod was great because everything he did was great. He was rich, he was powerful, but he was also an egomaniac. He also, he like killed two of his sons, he, uh, he, he killed his wife and then he had remorse about killing his wife so he built a tower to honour her and spent the rest of his life bemoaning the fact that he killed her. He was, he was a crazy, crazy guy, this Herod the Great. He had too much money, no sense and, uh, and had all that he needed. And Herod wasn't a Jew, he was called the king of the Jews but that was because he'd, been, he'd bought that title uh, when the Romans were starting to come in and look like they were going to take over Judea, the rich uh, or aristocracy of the Jews, the high priests, they said, well, we, we don't want Rome. So they went to the Hasmonean kingdom, which was a kingdom just next to them. And Herod the Great happened, Herod happened to be the leader of that kingdom at the time. And they said, hey, if you'll come and be our king, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll give all our wealth to you. You can, you can become king of this place. You can rule here in Judea. And Herod the Great made all his money through the spice trade. That's because the, that road was the, the spice road. And so it was like, think oil barons. I mean, that was the primary time, uh, sort of source of wealth in the day was the spice trade. So he was one very, very rich dude, full of power, full of money. And, and he did everything on a grand scale. There was nothing about him that wasn't done on a grand scale. In fact, that's why they call him Herod the Great, because everything he did was great. And I want to show you some pictures. I've shown some of these pictures before, but uh, I want to just show you a few pictures. Of, we've got Phil's mum, Sue, here today, who's been to Israel with us, so she'll recognise some of these pictures. But I want to show you some pictures of some of the work that Herod did. And as we do this, I want you to be listening to what... I'm going to preempt you with what I want you to say. I want you to be listening to your own heart for a moment. You see, I find that it's very easy when I'm captivated by the, the, the grandness of what humanity is capable of. I can go, wow, look at the size of that building. Look at, look at us flying in over Sydney Harbour Bridge yesterday and just looking over the Harbour Bridge in the Opera House. And it's just it's such a beautiful city to, to come in over the top of and look at that beautiful harbour. I can get so proud of it. And it is beautiful and, and, and this, you know, beautiful architecture in all of that. But we've got to make sure that we don't get focused on humanity's achievements at the expense of the kingdom of God. And that's what I want you to do. Listen to your heart as you look at these diagrams, because these pictures, because it'd be very easy to go, this, this Herod was a great guy. I mean, he did some great things. He did some really big building projects, but he did it on the back of slave labour. He did it on the back of poor wages. He did it on the back of usury of his people. All values that are against the kingdom of God. And so this first one is, is Caesarea uh, Maritima by the sea. And uh, this, uh, what, you can, what you can see here, sorry for those on camera, I'm going off screen for a minute. What you can see in this shadowed area here is the remains of what was the harbour that King Herod built. There was no harbour in the coast of Israel um, in this area, so Herod decided he would build one. And so he, he got some giant barges and filled them with uh, some special kind of concrete and sent them out to sea and he sunk them. He blew them up and sunk them to the ground and he had some special concrete that set underwater. The technology that he had brought from elsewhere in the empire so he could set this concrete underwater and create like a man-made breakwater so that they could have an, a, an unnatural a, a human harbour there to protect them from the Mediterranean Sea. In fact, this technology he used, 
used was lost for 1,500 years because Herod, Josephus tells us, Herod, apart from doing grand building projects, he had this habit of uh, employing the best architects he could find in the kingdom, the best designers and the best scientists, and then he employed them, and after they did the design work for him, he killed them so they couldn't share the technology with anybody else. So no one else could copy what Herod did. And this happened multiple times for Herod. So this technology was lost for 1,500 years after he did this, this massive harbour on the coast called Caesarea Maritima. This next picture is the picture of the old city of Jerusalem. And uh, this one is pretty well known to you with the, the Dome of the Rock and the Temple Mount here. But what I wanted to do is just kind of show you the size of this, of this building. Because in the time of Jesus, the, old, the city of Jerusalem was about this big, about same size as the Temple Mount. So this massive facility here that housed the temple was bigger, as big as the entire city that people were living in. And Herod had built this. It used to be a small little temple, and Herod built it. Over, it tells us in the gospel, the, the, the priests accused Jesus. They said, it's taken 46 years to build this temple. You're going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days? You're crazy, Jesus. And it tells us that Jesus was talking about his body being the true temple. But this was a massive, grand project with beautiful stones. In fact, we read about in the Gospels, I think it's Matthew chapter 24. They walk across the Mount of Olives over to this side and they turn around and they say to Jesus, the disciples say to Jesus, what amazing stones. Isn't this building incredible? Look what Herod has done. And Jesus says, I'll tell you about that building. It might look great now, but there's coming a day when every stone in that building will be thrown down because the kingdoms of this world will not bring about the kingdom of heaven. A kingdom that was represented by that world. It was supposed to represent God's kingdom and it became a kingdom of injustice. They were enslaving, the money, the money traders were enslaving the people, exacting usury against them. Everything that was against God's kingdom was taking place in a place that was claiming to be God's kingdom. And I'm challenged by that because I wonder if we might fall into that trap sometimes ourselves. Do we fall into the trap of getting from God rather than giving to others? What can church do for me? What, can, what glory can I get in, in my role in church? What can I get from what I give to church? What can I get from that? That's the wrong motive. The kingdom of heaven is the opposite of that. So in the uh, bottom corner here, you can see this entire thing is called the Temple Mount. Now, the temple once sat on top there. This is just a giant retaining wall, basically. If you take these next couple of slides, I think I've shown these slides before a couple of years ago. This is, uh, this is Russell Coit standing by the bottom corner of the, um, of the Temple Mount. That's uh, who Andrew Tooby told me that. So he told me I look like Russell Coit. Oh, look, they've already put Russell Coit up there. Oh, you're too clever. So go back. All right, go back. Just to give you some sense... Of these, that's a long way up there. And just to give you some sense of the size of these, these massive stones, go over to the next slide just to show you how big these stones are. These stones are about this high, and these ones where I am basically are about the length of this stage. They don't know how they got them there. The technology to get them and build them is huge. Everything Herod did was great, and it's into that kingdom that Jesus is born. Let's keep going for a couple more slides just to have a, a look at. This is, the temp, this is the palace of Masada in the, um, in the desert, in the Dead Sea region. You can see the Dead Sea in the background. This massive, big, great, rocky outcrop that Herod built. He built, uh, he found the, the most uh, place, the place that was, you know, the most remote from anything else. He was, he was worried people were, he was so, so uh, um, worried people were going to kill him. So he said, let's find the biggest rock we can. Let's build a palace on the top of that rock and, and let's have a look at a close-up of the remains of this palace. He didn't just build the palace on the rock. He built the palace down the side of the rock. We walked down there, didn't we, Trish? We walked down, did you walk down, down the side of the mountain there? And so it's a, it's a long walk. So not only did he build a palace on the rock, he built it over the side of the rock. I think this next slide shows what it, what it would have looked like. 
down the side of the rock in the middle of nowhere. This was, there's a 200, the closest, closest slope, the shallowest slope is 200 feet up the side of this hill. In fact, if you go back to the two slides back, you'll see the, the ramp. Well, yeah, stay on that one. Just down the right-hand side there, you can see sort of like a, a ramp. The Romans built that ramp to besiege it. They built it by using slave labour to pour uh, rock against the side, to basically pour soil so they could besiege this palace. That slide also shows those rectangular rooms there. These were the food storage rooms. Just to give you some idea of how great Herod was, there was enough food housed in those rooms to last 100 years. There is, I can't remember, it's, I think it's the equivalent off the top of my head of about five Olympic swimming pools worth, uh, worth of water could be housed on the top of this mountain in the middle of the desert. Everything he did was on a grand scale. Herod the Great for a reason. Why am I focusing on this? Because Jesus' kingdom is so different to that. Don't fall into the trap of greatness. Jesus says, if you want to be great, you become the least of all. We're running out of time. Let's just keep going. The last slides I want to show you, I think I did this last Christmas. This is a picture of the Herodium, in, also down by the Dead Sea, just in the shadow of Bethlehem. And Herod also wanted to build on the top of a mountain. He couldn't find a mountain in this area high enough, but he found two mountains about the same height. And so he took all the soil from one mountain and put it on top of the other one and then built his palace on top of that. And so this final slide I've got there is what they reckon his palace looked like. And this is literally in the shadow of Bethlehem. Jesus wasn't born in this palace. Jesus was born in the shadow of this palace. Of all the things that Jesus could have done, and we would think maybe Jesus should have done, if he was really going to stamp his mark on this world as the king of the ages, he wasn't born in Rome's, Rome's Caesar's palace. He wasn't born in Herod's palace. He was born in the shadow of Herod's palace. And that's because the world is dark. There are hard things in this life, friends. But God's promise is that even in the midst of dark times, God will be good. God will show you how much he loves you because he will come into the darkness of this world. He will come into the dark places of this world. He will meet you where you're at. Don't for a moment think he's not interested. The reason I'm spending time contrasting these two stories, the story of Herod the Great and the story of Jesus and the story of Caesar and the story of Jesus it's just to remind you this Christmas about the upside-down kingdom. Jesus says, the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. Jesus, it says, washed his disciples' feet. What a powerful picture of humility. The kingdom of heaven is not about flaunting greatness, not about how great am I, what can I do. The kingdom of heaven is what can I give up. We as Jesus' followers this Christmas, I want to encourage us, we prepare our hearts for this next three weeks, let's be a people who go out and say, what can I give? God, you've given me so much. You showed me your love by coming out of heaven. And the majesty of heaven, friends, like even all the majesty of Herod's palaces is nothing compared to the majesty of heaven. And Philippians chapter 2 tells us that Jesus didn't consider equality with God and all that beauty and majesty of heaven, streets of gold and all that. He didn't consider that worth hanging on to. He gave all that up. And he came and he was born in a stable in, with the animal, animals. He came to the lowest place to show us what God is really like. God is humble. God is interested in us. And so this final slide I want to um, show you is, um, is a slide that is a picture of 
a, a famous tablet called the pre-in calendar inscription, the pre-in calendar inscription. So you can see the sort of make out of the tablet behind it. And I've just superseded some words over this. The Gospel of Mark, which we didn't read, begins because it doesn't have the, the count of Jesus' birth in there, but it just says this, the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of David, the Son of God. The word gospel, which we use to speak about the good news of Jesus, that wasn't, an, that wasn't a unique word for Christianity. In fact, when the early Christians uh, were looking for a word to speak about Jesus coming to earth, they pinched the word gospel because it was being used already throughout the Roman Empire to speak of Caesar. The word gospel meant good news. And every time Caesar was born, and we have this, this inscription here, that Caesar was proclaimed to be the gospel. When he was born, it was good news to all people. Let's look at what this, prescription, this, this inscription says. It says, since providence, which it personifies providence here as a, a woman, a bit like the book of Proverbs does with, with uh, wisdom. Since providence, which has ordered all things and is deeply interested in our life, has set in most perfect order by giving us Augustus, whom she filled with virtue, that he might benefit humankind, sending him as a saviour, both for us and for our descendants, that he might end war and arrange all things. And since the birthday of the God Augustus was the beginning of the gospel for the world that came by reason of him. This tablet has been dated to about 9 AD, 9 AD, 9 BC. So just prior to the birth of Christ, this was the message that was being put out across the Roman Empire through Caesar Augustus. See, prior to that, for a few hundred years of Roman emperor, the Roman um, kingdom, the, the kingdom of Rome, it wasn't an empire. There was no emperor. There was no divine figure at the, at the head of it. Julius Caesar had died, and uh, his adopted son Augustus, his name was Octavian. He became he became emperor and he decided he got he got a bit full of himself and he decided that he would be worshiped as a divine being and very cleverly he did that because they tell us that at this around this time Halley's comet was going around who remembers who, who's old enough to remember when Halley's comet came through yeah a few a few of us that are sort of boomers and exes remember that the rest of you have no idea but Halley's comet came through i remember looking up in the sky and going oh big deal wasn't that big a deal but but during, the time, during this time, Halley's Comet was well known across the Roman Empire. And so Augustus, he thought, I'm going to seize on this. And he said, that comet you see, that star you see, that's my father, Julius Caesar, ascending to heaven. And so they turned him into God. And if Julius, Augustus's adopted father, is God, what does that make Augustus? The son of God. And so Augustus was worshipped as the divine son of God. And it's not surprising that the gospel writer Luke, that Lyndon read, would parallel those two messages. This was, this was common language. And the gospel writer Luke was trying to say, Augustus, he ain't your king. Augustus, he's not the true son of God. That's not how the son of God is really about. He, he is using you. He is controlling you. All these things that it says in this inscription, he, he's the saviour. He wants to benefit humankind, end war and arrange all things. They all sound like good things, yeah? But he did it at the point of the sword. He did it through using and abusing. It wasn't the kingdom of God. It was the kingdom of this world. You can have seeming peace at the edge of a sword. You can have seeming peace with retribution and Jesus, the gospel writers want to show, his kingdom isn't like that. The way to true kingdom of heaven is by giving up, not by taking. By giving, not taking. And so the kingdom of heaven is a different, uh, under a whole different value. So that he, And the writers want you to know that's the real good news. Could we get the, the band to come back and join us on stage as we begin to wrap up?
We've got communion on the chairs around about you there. We're going to take communion together in just a minute. I just wanted to show us that just to maybe help us reflect on this at this moment. Maybe where the kingdom of this world might be infiltrating our hearts and our values. It's not bad to have good things. It's not bad to have entertainment. It's not bad to have athletic prowess. Everyone's pretty much proud of the Aussies for getting as far as they did in the World Cup. One of the ladies at Tarul said this morning to me, she said it's probably just as well Australia lost because she said most Australians will go, yeah, okay, well, we expected that. But she said if Argentina had lost, they probably would have been riding on the streets of Buenos Aires and people would have got killed. So it's probably better that Aussies would just go, yeah. But we're pretty proud of the fact that Aussies got as far as they did. It's not bad to have any of those things. But at their worst, that message can infiltrate our heart and we can become like the disciples and go, oh, look at these grand buildings. Look at how great Herod is. Look at what he's done for us. Look at how great our church is. Look at how great this Christmas, look at how we do Christmas. We do it better than everybody else. How great, how great, how great. That subtle message, friends, that's where we're going to fall down. That's where we're going to worship idols. Most of us aren't going to go out and, and you know, do stuff that we would know is not necessarily healthy for us. But that subtlety of the materialistic, self-focused world, this is, you deserve that. Take it for yourself. You've worked hard. You deserve that. Go on. Won't hurt anybody. You'll do yourself good just to have a bit of a relief for a while. Whatever it might be, that's the subtle message that gets into us. And it's that message that I want to challenge as we head into this season. I wonder if we can be people who turn that value upside down and say, we're going to be bringers of joy to others. Is my life causing other people to have their joy robbed or am I being a giver of joy to others? I wonder if you could stand as you grab your communion right now. I want to wrap up quickly. Kids have been great. Thanks, kids. But I know when you're in, you get a bit bored. They're doing a great job. So this Christmas season, just as we still our hearts for a moment more, before we reflect again on the powerful name of Jesus, the wonderful name of Jesus, the beautiful name of Jesus as we sing to close. In this moment, Lord, We pray that this would be a holy moment. Lord, we look to you. You show us what your kingdom is really like. Your kingdom is not one of take. It's not one of use. It's not one of abuse. Your kingdom is one of give, give, give. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. Lord, I reflect that you were born in the shadow of the palace, not in the palace. You were born in Bethlehem under Roman rule. 
I reflect on the fact that your kingdom does not advance at the point of a sword or the end of a rifle. Your kingdom advances through selflessness, not selfishness. Lord, I thank you that you showed us what your kingdom is like. You said your kingdom is about loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself. You showed us that your kingdom is about even loving our enemies. Just feel a prompting of the Spirit right now. Maybe there's some people in your world that they become like your enemies. And maybe rightly so because of the way they've treated you, the, the unjustness of the way you've been treated. God might just bring them across your path right now and just, he wants to dismill, dispel that selfish sense of, I'm going to get back at them. I'm going to get justice. Friend, when you try to take justice your way, it'll never satisfy doesn't mean that God's not a God of justice. He will right every wrong, the Bible says. But will you allow Him to do that? Will you love your enemies? Will you do what Jesus said and forgive those who sin against you? And I just feel in this holy moment, we're about to take communion. Maybe there's some of us here that just feel prompted right now to exercise kingdom of God values as opposed to kingdom of this world. See, the kingdom of the world would say, you take, you deserve. You deserve retribution for the way you've been treated. That's unfair. You deserve it. Fight for it. And the kingdom of God would say, it's mine to avenge, says the Lord. Kingdom of God values would say, leave it to me. Kingdom of God values would say, hey, I've got this. You forgive. Don't let hatred, anger, bitterness dwell in your heart. In this moment, friend, choose to forgive as Christ has forgiven you. In fact, I just want to pray. Let's pray the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. and Forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours, Lord, is the kingdom, the power, and the glory now and forevermore. Lord, we look to you. May we be bringers of that kingdom this Christmas. Start in our heart and then flow out of us wherever there is peace, a, peace, a lack of peace, wherever, wherever there is anxiety, wherever there is anger, wherever there is things in our world around us that are trying to rob us and rob others, Lord, we look to You and we pray that we would represent You, that by Your grace, we would be able to bring joy to the world around us, that we would be bringers of the good news of the true Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. As you open up your communion now, I just want you to stand in His presence for a moment. Jesus took the bread on that fateful last night. And he took the bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples. And as he did, he said, take this, 
eat of this bread. It's my body, which is given for you. Just reflect on the fact that Jesus, the Son of God, the King of kings, the King whose glory far surpassed the King of the Jews, Herod, or the King of the Roman Empire, sees His glory far surpassed that, and yet He offered His body on a cross, given for us. And as you eat, partake of that gift, that gift of life that is given for us. Lord, we do this now in remembrance of you. And as we take this juice that represents your blood, the new blood of your covenant, the new kingdom, the kingdom that is different to the kingdoms of this world, the upside down kingdom that was instituted through the shedding of your blood. We thank you, Lord, that we are part of that kingdom. And as we take this, we take life from the kingdom into ourself so that we can be the bringers of that life to the world around us. Sustain us as we drink this cup now. Amen. We're just going to close by focusing on this song. Let's focus on the wonderful, beautiful, powerful name of Jesus and his kingdom. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message from our church. We pray that you feel empowered by what you've heard today. We hope that you can stay connected by following us online. You can find us at C3 Camden on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, or visit our website at www.c3camden.church.